And here we go. Let's see if we've got any sound today. Is there a sound? We have to turn it on. See if we've got any. Yep. Five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA. We're going to be talking about creative today. And uh, before we do, let's get over to the uh, blueberries and see what's happening here. Let's go down here. And here come the girls down the hill. And this is supposed to be sort of a parody. Blueberries from the U.S. Blueberry Council or something like that. Feel the rush of snacking on heart-healthy blueberries. I do love blueberries, I have to say. And some of them are really sweet and some of them are awful. <laughs> you never know. You know, they look really big and blue. I... Uh, got got to pick blueberries on in uh, Acadia National Park in Maine, 1967, I remember. Uh, my brother was injured, and so we stayed in the park like an extra week and uh, got to fish on the rocks up there. And um, it was it was probably late July and <clears throat> foggy and wavy and watched people get swept off the rocks my parents were with my brother they didn't know what we were doing we were catching fish clam digging but we did get to, to pick a lot of blueberries then in 71 we went to austria and visited the relatives and uh schwarzberry they called them we went schwarzberry picking up the mountain walked up the mountain and uh picked the blueberries and uh those are the best I always wanted to plant blueberries, but apparently they don't grow really well underneath black walnuts. Uh, so I never did plant those blueberries. I'm going to have to get into that. Anyway, uh, let's talk about the article on blueberries over here. Sorry to go off in space there. Uh, these ads for blueberries parody the familiar marketing tropes. I don't know. They're familiar. Uh, people having fun and then eating blueberries. That's uh, It's kind of novel, but it doesn't seem... To be a parody, you can have fun and eat blueberries, I suppose. I, you know, maybe they, I don't know, but it's the U.S. High Bush Blueberry Council. The High Bush blueberries are the ones that uh, that you pretty much buy in the store. They're 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 about four times bigger than the wild blueberries. Um, so anyway, the ad agency Padilla, I guess, said they were tongue-in-cheek ads. We thought it would be fun to set blueberries loose in a sea of mood and energy-boosting marketing tropes. The contrast of seeing something as simple and wholesome as blueberries in these noisy, contrived commercial genres made us all smile. And since the year 2000, the U.S. High Bush Blueberry Council has helped grow North American production from 432 million pounds to 1,234 million pounds. Woo-wee. So blueberries are a lot more available. Uh, a lot of times I see them from Mexico or from uh, Chile or someplace like that. But uh, apparently we have quadrupled our production, and they're very good, and I love blueberries. Okay, this is an interesting one. Diller said publishers are ready to sue tech giants. This is Barry Diller, uh, who is 
the chair of Merit of dot dash Meredith parent IAC uh, said Google and Microsoft oh, they're they're planning to sue we don't know when over the use of copyright works to train AI systems copyrighted works and of course almost everything on the internet should should be copyrighted in some way or shape um, it's, they said Google and Microsoft claim the fair use doctrine of copyright law allows them to suck up all this stuff. Google, and then, of course, they say we're open to commercial agreements, but on the side of those people who are depending on advertising, Google, for instance, says, uh, we'll give you a revenue share, but right now the revenue share is zero. So what percent are the revenue? In other words, we're not charging for our AI. We trained it. We paid for the training. You know, you threw in the, the content. So uh, so we'll share zero. We're not charging for it. So what percent of zero? But, of course, Google is making money delivering services and selling advertising. So everything Google does, in a sense, makes money. They certainly make a ton of money. But just because they don't tie it right back to the AI – Publishers get nothing. So what percent of zero would you like today? Right? And uh, so Diller said, we are leading a group that is going to say we are going to change copyright law if necessary to work to work to say that you cannot take our material or we will litigate. You know, we had a had an interesting conversation yesterday with a few people who do use no, one was dead set against using AI, and the other one was using it when they felt like they needed a few ideas. And both agreed that it was it was immoral, illegal to use the copyrighted material. And for and one of them said, "Well, we're not going to. I'm never going to use it for that reason. I'll write my own." Uh, as you can probably tell, I do fair use. <laughs> I utilize fair use. You know, I show commercials and talk about the commercials, and I use articles and talk about the articles. I mark them up, of course, and give you my take on them, which is oftentimes more in-depth than the articles themselves, but it does get me prompted. So, you know, there's no AI involved as far as I know unless some AI writes it. But um, is that fair use? Do I have the, Do I have the right to... To talk about articles that are published by someone else, I don't know. I I did research at the beginning, and I felt that I did. So it's a complicated issue. Um, you know, in AI, as I pointed out, if you if you plagiarize from a hundred articles, it's it's machine learning. But if you plagiarize from one or use one, but it's clearly attributed and all that, is that fair use? It's a good question. Don't know. Okay, this is from Gunderson Direct, and it's kind of a puff piece, I admit. But, um, you know, it's interesting. Jeremy Hainlein um, is apparently the creative guy, the creative side, and uh, and he's going to talk with the account exec, the, the head of account executives, the account people. And in 20 years, he said he's had all kinds of relationships with the account people, some salty, some sour, some bitter. Sounds like blueberries. Not salty, but they're on the coast of Maine, so the air was salty. And some sweet. 
where the feedback is ripe with positive intent and our clients savor the fruits of our labor. I think he hit this metaphor a little hard. But he said, in no place is it more sweet than at Gunderson Direct. Could have had a much shorter sentence for that one. Now, look at that. that yeah, whoa, liquors, maybe. I hope he's not the copywriter. Anyway, recently sat down with Lindsay Weisgerber. And, uh, and Lindsay is our agency's head of accounts. And so, first of all, it's not... The first, he's going to excerpt some uh, some of the comments from 25 pages of transcripts. Okay. Uh, I think the the productive account and creative relationship is built on trust, respect, and collaboration. You know, it's tricky because there's some compartmentalization. You know, the account exec goes out and talks to the client, tries to pick their brain, tries to figure out what they want, and then comes back and talks to the creative uh I only have a couple of years of experience in a general agency, and those days I think were a little different. We had the account execs really out there beating the bushes trying to get new accounts and getting some feedback. But then the uh, then the uh, ad manager from the client and the creative team would pretty much work right together. And uh, but that was you know. Decades ago, my goodness, yeah, that was that was 35 years ago or something. So maybe the model has changed dramatically since then. Anyway, um, Jeremy chimed in and said, "Yeah, his daughter's reading a book where there's two warring factions or or uh, gangs, and they find out at the end that they have a lot in common. So it's easy to put up walls and." And it's easy to offer nothing but roadblocks and pushback. Um, but Lindsay said, be humble, acknowledge, and work together. That's when really great work happens. And uh, so in my experience, and this was, you know, I was brought in to be the direct marketing guy. So I didn't have, I'm sorry for my allergies. I've been, I've been snuffing the last couple days. I've noticed that when I edit my videos. Yes, I do edit them for the podcast. It's available every day at WDMA.org and also on Pod, on uh, Spotify, on Google Podcasts, on Apple, and iTunes, I think, all four of those. So no excuse not to listen. You can listen in your car. You can have it downloaded every day right to your phone. And uh, whoopee, you know. Um, I think there's about 700 of them out there. But I do edit them a little gently. Um, so they're always, almost always under 20, 20 minutes, and uh, I get rid of some of the mistakes that I make. Anyway, so in my agency experience, um, we pitched five clients. Those were brought in by the, by the account execs. And um, at the pitch meeting, I don't think it was a really full creative pitch. I don't recall a... I don't recall a, an ad brief at the time. It seemed to me the process was more like find companies that are out there pit that are out there looking for an agency, and then bring them in and have a meeting where we talk about what we've done for other people and what we think we could do for them. We did put some time into how things might apply, which media might apply, what strategies might make sense, and then we presented that. But there wasn't a whole lot of um, actual advertising presented because uh, we were famous for winning awards and getting 
uh, and having expertly creative breakthrough campaigns. And they're not copywritten when you present them. Uh, they become the client's property. So if they wanted to go and do a lot of ad agency presentations and then take the best one back to their existing agency, that would be, according to my understanding, legal. So to avoid that, avoid giving away our best ideas, we would just have them come in and, and, and we would talk about our capabilities. And somewhere along the way in the pitch, they would, they would prop me up and say, you know, here's our direct marketing guy. And I would give a talk about accountable advertising, something like the, uh, something like the uh, scientific advertising by Claude Hopkins at scientificadvertising.com. Available. I highly recommend it if you're in advertising. I also would listen over and over and over to an, the audio book uh, by David Ogilvy, Confessions of an Ad Man. But anyway, so we won five out of five of those pitches. And in every case, the feedback I got from the owner of the agency was, who I talked to just a couple, just maybe two weeks ago, something like that. Um, so we're still on good terms. Uh, and he would say, yeah, they really like that idea of accountable advertising. You know, that was something no one else presented. But then when they come in and we'd have the real creative meeting, which always had great snacks and everything, I didn't even get invited to the meeting, you know, much less get to talk. And finally, after the, we won the fifth one, and again, they said that they really liked the idea of direct marketing. And, and, and by direct marketing, I said at the time, because you know my whole work on the definition, I had the seminal work on uh, the definition of direct marketing. Uh, if you look in, uh, in, uh, in scholar.google.com instead of regular Google, you'll find mine from this time of life. Because they would ask me why, what about what, why, why do you think what you do is different than what we do? And uh, I, I said, well, we're you know we we set up from the beginning we set up a testing system so that we get smarter over and over and over. Actually, at the time I just said, well, we we try to create a measurable res response. And they said, well, we do that. You know, we do an ad for a grand opening and people show up at the store or whatever. And they were right. And that's when I realized that the inadequacies of the definition. And so now, now we have a different definition, which is basically testing. Testing and getting smarter over and over and over. That's the real distinctive of direct marketing. And just so you don't think I just made that up, Bob Stone and I used to have coffee after I had a meeting in Chicago. I'd stop at his house in Skokie. And uh, he said, John, you're right. Uh, I said, I said, Bob, why didn't you put testing in the definition? He said, well, we couldn't imagine somebody could measure and wouldn't. And we couldn't imagine that if they were measuring that they wouldn't be testing. You know, they were just too close to it. Fortunately, I have that master's in philosophy, so I wasn't that close to it. Anyway, so, uh, so after they'd have the creative meeting, finally I roped the creative director down and I said, hey, how come I don't even get to come to the meetings? And they said, well, we don't ever want to see your portfolio. It's ugly. Just because you beat control by 40% with an uglier piece, we don't want to know. In fact, we want to win awards and the ad manager wants to win awards. And uh, so we don't really want to know if the ad was effective or not in your, by your definition. You know, we want to win the awards. And we might not even enter if we don't think it's effective. So anyway, that's when I went out on my own, January 2nd, 1990.
So anyway, uh, yes, it can be a problem. Can be, can be resentment. Can be, uh, or getting an incom unclear or incomplete brief. And see, like I said, I don't recall the brief being built except in conjunction with the creative team. So, uh, so Lindsay, the account director, said, "How do we inspire you guys to do your best possible work?" That's really good, you know. But I think we did more team. We had more team orientation in our agency. It was very, very small. And so everybody kind of worked on it together. And the client would come in also and oftentimes work on it together. Um, so then the creative guy said, when you're confident in the brief, you're confident in the work. And that all breeds excitement. And Lindsay says, a lot of upfront work goes into the brief, the art of account service. How do you ask the clients the right question? How do you know when to push back or not? I tend to push back too much. People call me up and say they want to do a catalog and they want to pay me $100,000 to get it going. And I say, yeah, it won't work. I can't take your money. I did that with Blockbuster. They were stunned. They said, you're quite a guy. So every product is unique. Every product has its own set of parameters, uh, you know, opinion or options. So it kind of makes it fun. No one is this, No one is ever the same. And so Jeremy says, do we know what we're doing? Do we know what our timelines are? Do we have information on insights? Do we have a clear profile of the audience? That's a toughie. That's where testing comes in. Do we have clear insights to help us with the human condition? Do we have brand assets? And you see, what's interesting is even though, even though uh, Gunderson is, is famous for their direct marketing orientation, there's no, I, there's no talk of testing in this ramp up, you know. And my experience, recent experience though, even, is that we should start with what we think these are. We don't know any of these things usually, unless unless we're getting a new client that was a direct marketer. And even then, things can change. So, since we don't know these things, let let the market tell us what the right answers are. It's a very very different upside down approach. And I think Gunderson might benefit from some of that thinking. I'd be happy to share it with them in more detail. Uh, the second part is inspiration. And I think that, you know, I clearly am not the most creative person as far as layout, design, whatever. I can usually beat the most creative person <laughs> in actual results, but it's a sort of mechanical thing. You know, it's like, it's like I, I couldn't style a Ferrari but I might be able to tune the engine. That's kind of my my thing. Um, so the creative team wants to feel amped up by positive energy and awesome information, then go out and rock it. See, I would say, then go out and test it. So uh, there's going to be a bunch more stuff coming up. We have another article in the hopper, uh, and I'll go on to that. But tomorrow we're going to hear from Quad and what they think direct marketing is about. <laughs> so have a great day. Like and share. I'd really be really be interested if you have if you have experiences in agencies that are different than uh, Jeremy's or if you have uh, resonant opinions that resonate with Jeremy. I'd be really be interested in hearing about that. So like and repost. I've been reposting more. Hey, uh, you know, <laughs> take your own medicine. Bye bye.